Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. Again, in in a couple of weeks, I'll be starting a series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, Today, as much of the world particularly remembers the birth of Christ, the Incarnation, we turn to Luke chapter 1 to consider part of that story uh, of of the birth of Christ, of the coming of Christ. So I'm going to read uh, verses 26 uh, through 56. Luke 1, hear God's holy, infallible word. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, to the descendants of David, and the virgin's name, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. We'll end our reading there. I was reading uh, a while back, uh, it was a few years ago in, in the Atlantic, um, in the journal, not the ocean, um, an article titled, Fancy Starbucks Drinks and the Special Snowflakes Who Order Them. And it was about the really uniquely American phenomenon of uh, infinitely customizing our food orders and how it uh, reveals something of our, our narcissism, probably. 
Um, the article begins, it's been said there are 87,000 ways uh, to order a drink at Starbucks. In fact, Starbucks has recently been advertising themselves. There are 170,000 ways now to order a drink at Starbucks. Uh, it says you've got your non-fat milk, full-fat milk, soy milk, coconut milk, espresso shots, all the different flavored syrups, some of which are sugar-free, whipped cream, iced, hot, or extra hot if you've got a Kevlar tongue, different sizes, different result, uh, roasts of coffee, and on and on and on. Along with Starbucks, Burger King is probably the most obvious example of this phenomenon with its famous Have It Your Way slogan. And then skipping down the article a bit, it, it connects this to the fact that, as it says, American culture is notoriously individualist. This craze of mass customization makes people feel both unique and catered to when they're able to have it their way. It's a desire within our hyper-industrialized food system to have something that feels like it meets my personal taste profile. People can personalize their order at Starbucks or wherever else. They can also purchase whatever weirdly precise flavor of chips they prefer. Uh, for example, it says barbecue, honey barbecue, sweet southern heat barbecue, hot and spicy barbecue, and mesquite barbecue are all available from Lay's. Uh, some fast food chains even have secret menus, which offers even more options and a supercharged opportunity to signal just how special you are for knowing about them. Now, of course, the, the point is not there's anything wrong with uh, customizing your food order, your Starbucks drink, but the author is pointing to the uniqueness of that phenomenon to some degree as an example of the uh, individualism of, of our uh, present culture. Um, really, it's related to what our society values in many ways, in other realms of life, too. It's encouragement to follow your dreams or uh, be all you can be or the promise you can be anything you set your mind to. Uh, promises have let, led to a lot of um, devastating despair. Um, but a, a narcissistic desire for everything to be just the way we want it to be uh, clashes with the kingdom of God. Uh, it clashes with um, the example of Mary that we find in this passage here. Uh, and I, I hope we'll see this morning that God's announcement to Mary set her on a drastically different course than she might have had in mind for herself. Uh, for her life, a more demanding, a dangerous, uh, costly course uh, for her life in obedience to God. And God would have us say with Mary uh, in verse 38, uh, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And Mary's faith, of course, anticipates that of uh, her son, the obedience and resolution uh, of Jesus, uh, who she would carry. So my hope this morning is that you'd be encouraged in Mary's example to look to the fulfillment of that um, in the Lord that she was privileged to carry. It's, it's only in and by uh, the coming of Jesus that we can have that confident, resolute uh, faith in God, one that's not centered on ourselves, um, but willingly receiving life and calling from him, uh, for him. So look at number one in your outline, uh, in, your, in your bulletins there, and consider the unlikely honor for Mary that this was. Uh, think about the enormous privilege and honor that it was, that, that Mary was asked to carry, uh, to give birth to, to raise the Son of God. Um, maybe we're too familiar with the story to, to uh, really feel the weight of that. There, there's no higher honor uh, imaginable for a human uh, than what Mary was asked to do. Is an enormous honor, responsibility. Uh, in, in all societies have um, 
titles of honor, ways they show honor and respect for various people or uh, positions of your majesty or Mr. President, uh, your honor. Um, Look at the exalted language for Mary here. Um, To some degree in the way that the angel addresses her at verse 28, greetings favored one. Uh, Also in verse 30, you have found favor with God, but especially in Elizabeth's words to her, verse 43, 42 first, uh, blessed are you among women. Uh, The sense of that really is you are the most blessed woman of all uh, in the world. Uh, Verse 43, uh, how has it happened to me? The mother of my Lord would come to me. The mother of my Lord. Um, quite incredible statements to be made all of a sudden uh, to Mary. We see Mary's response to this in verse 29. She was very perplexed at this statement. Kept wondering what kind of salutation, what, what kind of greeting is this? Um, she doesn't fully understand how, how could this be my calling? Um, the more one reflects on God's choice of Mary, uh, the more perplexing it is, I think. And incredible and unexpected. God is a God is choosing someone to to carry and to birth into the world, to protect, to teach the Messiah, the the Son of God, the God-man. So what do we know about Mary, this woman that God chose for this role? Well, Mary's from Nazareth. For one thing, Nazareth was a small, insignificant, in fact, notoriously disreputable place. And we know that at least uh, in part from from the biblical perspective. Witness, John chapter 1, you'll remember that, that Philip had um, encountered Jesus and was excitedly became a follower of Jesus, and he runs to tell Nathaniel excitedly about Jesus. We found the Messiah, and what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, that, that's quite an opinion of, of Nazareth. Uh, certainly, if you were going to groom a new ruler for maybe a new republic or a revolution or something like that. You would want that person to have training and visibility and influence in, in, from the beginning in a place like New York City or Los Angeles. You know, not, a, not a backwoods town that if, if it's known for anything, it's known for negative things. Uh, but that's really where Mary is coming from. Secondly, Mary's a woman, of course. Uh, we, we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that women were thought little of uh, in that time, that society, a uh, patristic society in, in, the, in a very negative sense, unbiblical sense. Women were not educated like men. They were segregated in worship from men. Um, even though it's already, uh, so, so she's a woman from Nazareth. Uh, thirdly, even though it's already likely given where she's from, um, Mary is poor, it seems. Uh, in verse 48, she says of, of herself, she speaks of her humble state, and that's not speaking of her humility of heart, but her humble situation, she's poor. Uh, and she's uh, engaged to a village carpenter. This isn't likely to, to change her, her circumstances uh, in that way. Um, Kent Hughes summarizes at this point, he says, Mary is basically a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, fourthly, Mary is young, probably extremely young uh, by our standards. Um, a book, Jerusalem in the Time of Jesus, uh, that the scholar, the author, estimates that the average age of betrothal of a woman uh, in that time and place would have been uh, 12 and a half. So betrothal was basically like engagement, only it was, it was even more binding um, than what we would consider engagement to be. Um, so 12 and a half would be the average age 
13 and a half would be the average age for, for marriage about a year later. So it's likely, very likely, Mary was 12, 13, maybe 14 if she was extraordinarily old. Um, says a lot about what, what we maybe what we expect of our kids at certain ages, but um, it, it was extraordinary in that time. She's very young. So she's a poor, very young woman from Nazareth. Um, Martin Luther comments on this. God might well have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was beautiful and rich, clad in gold embroiderments and uh, attended by maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from an inferior town. So it's a perplexing, maybe unexpected choice, but it's only unexpected from, from a human perspective. Uh, this, is, this is who God is. This is how God works. Um, he displays his power and glory through unexpected people and circumstances over and over and over again in the scriptures and in history. Uh, he exalts and uses the poor. He, he uh, uses those who are humble. He brings down those who are arrogant or powerful or wealthy. Um, and that's really the theme of, of Mary's song, her poem that we have here. Uh, verse 46 and following, what, what history knows as the Magnificat, that's a word from the uh, Latin translation, the, the ancient Vulgate translation of the Bible. We don't find that in our English Bible here. Um, but there are really two themes in, in Mary's Magnificat, her response to God's call on her here. Uh, the first is that God lifts the humble. Uh, he lifts the humble. Verse 48, he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Uh, verse 50, his mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear him. Verse 52, uh, he's exalted those who are humble. Verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things. This is what Mary sees God doing for her. The, the most unlikely uh, of choice uh, for this role. Um, God see, Mary sees God doing this in her life. And again, this is how God works. And in this case, again, it's intentional on God's part. He's pointing to what his kingdom would be like. Um, it's a kingdom where glory and reward and exaltation come through humility and suffering, uh, willing suffering. Um, a kingdom that's ultimately about humbling yourself before God. Whatever your status or wealth or whatever, you, you give it to the Lord in service. It, it's pointing to the king uh, that, that Mary was called to carry, who would be born himself in poverty, who would live in poverty, uh, who would be a king without an army or without wealth. Uh, born to, to suffer and die. Uh, the other theme of Mary's song here is that uh, God humbles the proud. Um, he humbles those who are proud in their, their brains, their intellect. Verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. Um, he humbles those who are proud in their position, their power. Verse 52, uh, he brought down rulers from their thrones. Uh, he humbles those who are proud in their, in their wealth. Verse 53, he sent the rich away empty-handed. The, these aren't the things that earn you a place in the kingdom of God. Um, again, as the, the sense is not that there's anything wrong with power or wealth or the, these things, but they are not used um, in God's service but for self. And, and in that case, God brings them down. Um, all selfish use of God's good gifts uh, will be torn down, will be reversed. God will exalt this humble Jesus uh, that Mary will carry. Uh, he will offer himself as a sacrifice freely uh, to anyone who will 
uh, come to him in repentance. And so uh, Mary really gives, through her, through her song here, gives a warning. Um, a warning that this Jesus will not forever tolerate those who arrogantly oppose him, uh, who boast of their own gifts, their own power, who serve themselves. Uh, that this, this king, this, God's choosing of Mary and then the way that her son would be would, would be an example of that warning uh, to everyone. And we need to take that to heart, apply it to every sphere in our lives. The, the, the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus is a warning to nations. Um, Christ will be king of nations. Uh, that ought to be terrifying to a nation that's not serving Christ explicitly. Um, arrogant nations will be humbled. They will be scattered. Um, it's a warning to churches, right? Those churches that come to be proud of their own accomplishments or programs or abilities, influence, numbers, and so on will not have true gospel success. They will be humbled. It's a warning to individuals, to families. Um, it's the humble, the hungry who will be filled, Mary says here. Um, it's not those who are already stuffed on the passing pleasures of this world who ultimately will, will be blessed. So I, I think we can see there's, there's no wet, better way for God to have shown that glory and honor come after humility than that the Christ would come through Mary, through someone like Mary, a very young, poor uh, girl from Nazareth. And um, even though this passage, as, as all of Scripture um, and, and Mary ultimately points to Jesus, uh, I think it's clear we ought to remember, we ought to honor uh, Mary as this passage does, as the angel does, as Elizabeth does, as the preservation of her song does. Uh, we'll see further godly example in her response here in a minute. Uh, because of the errors of the Roman Catholic Church about Mary, um, at times Protestant churches maybe shy away from uh, honoring Mary or even talking about her at all. Um, uh, so we don't want to overreact. We, we, because of that, I, we, we do also want to pause and consider what it doesn't mean to honor Mary because of the error of, of, of Rome. Um, Rome teaches that Mary is sinless, she never sinned in her whole life. Um, the Bible is clear. There's only one sinless human ever. That was the Lord Jesus. Um, the Catholic Church calls her holy, the queen of heaven, uh, because of that. Uh, one that. She's one that we pray to in their teaching uh, as a mediator like Jesus. Um, the, the, the Catholic prayer, the Hail Mary, uh, goes like this. The Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. You can hear the language of Luke 1. That's simply what that is here. But it goes on, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. And that, that view of Mary as an exalted you know, queen of heaven, sinless uh, one that we would pray to, comes partly from verse 28 here. Um, verse 28, in, in the Vulgate, the ancient Latin translation, it reads, uh, that Mary is full of grace, uh, full of grace. That's not the best translation. A favored one is probably a better translation. But but even so, the understanding of the Roman Church is that Mary is inherently full of grace. She is in herself full of grace in the way that God is full of grace. So she becomes a dispenser of grace to people, uh, to the degree that we could, in the sense that we could say that any of us or Mary are full of grace. It's it's only because. 
We are receivers of grace, right? God has filled us with his grace. We don't dispense grace. So the the truth about Mary is that she, like us, has received grace. Uh, She's been uniquely blessed for for what she's been called to here. Um, It's only that the angel says she's favored. The the Lord is with you. It's because the Lord is with her, not because she's inherently holy or or full of grace. Um, Mary herself disagrees with the idea that she's sinless in verse 47. She speaks of God, my Savior. My Savior from what? Their Savior from sin. Mary was acknowledging and receiving God's grace uh, as a sinner. Um, So, uh, praying to Mary is is not praying at all. It's an idolatrous fiction. But that doesn't, again, mean that Mary or her story aren't a great example to us uh, and a help to us in showing that God gives grace to the lowly, gives grace to anyone, uh, and in showing the proper response um, to God. And she is a... Uh, an example to honor in that way. So let's look secondly further at Mary's humble response, uh, her humble response. Uh, first, it's an honest but willing response to, to Gabriel's call. Uh, Gabriel tells her she's about to conceive, to have a son who will be the Messiah. Uh, and, and then her response in verse 34 is this, how can this be since I'm a virgin? I think one of the things that makes this a a, a tricky response to wrestle with or really to understand is, is comparing it to Zechariah's response earlier in this chapter. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. The angel came to him, gave him a similar message, you're going to have a son. And uh, he responded back in verse 18 with a question as well. How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Notice he didn't say I'm an old wife. He, he Said it a little nicer about her, but um, the, the angel's response to Zechariah was very different than it is to Mary. They both responded with a, a question, how is this? Um, the angel confirmed, seemed to confirm that Zechariah's response was one of unbelief. And, and you're, you'll recall he, he gave Zechariah this consequence. The next nine months, you're not going to be able to speak. Um, and the angel prefaced that with, with, because you did not believe my words. And, and so it seems Zechariah's question was, you know, I, I, can't, I can't accept this. I can't believe this. This, this is impossible. Uh, it seems we're to understand Mary's response differently. That, that correctly understood, she, she accepted that she was going to have a son. Um, and, and that this would be without a man. And, and so she asks the angel, how, how would this be possible? How is this possible? How is this going to happen? As if she's saying, okay, I, I understand and believe, but what am I to do? How am I to accomplish this? And, and maybe verse 45 is some um, confirmation of that when, when Elizabeth says of her, blessed is he who, she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So it seems we're to understand this as a, a believing question, but, but what am I to do? And, and the, the angel's response uh, in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And in other words, nothing. You, you don't have to make this happen. Uh, the Holy Spirit will make this happen. You're, you're to believe uh, and to care for this child then. And, and for confirmation, the, the angel in verse 36 tells her you're... you're elderly cousin Elizabeth is actually present already, as if to say, hint, hint, you should, you should go visit her and, and see that God has done this 
uh, for her already, and, and she does go visit her. But, but I think we see that she was not wrong in, in asking. She was honestly perplexed at what, at what Gabriel was saying. Uh, and so she asked a question in faith. And, and Gabriel doesn't respond by explaining the mechanics of exactly how this miracle is going to happen, as if she could even understand. Uh, she was to be faithful in her part, caring and caring for this child, and, and God would do what he promised. And we can learn something of a response that we should have uh, to the Lord. We, we can bring our questions to God in faith. Uh, he's not obligated to explain everything. He, he won't, nor could we understand everything that's in the mind of God. Um, but he seeks willing servants who trust him. And, and I think implicit in Mary's faith is, is Gabriel's statement in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary concludes with her, so, so may it be done to me. Uh, secondly, I want you to see that um, Mary's response was sacrificial. Uh, it was sacrificial. She confirms her willingness again in verse 38, may it be done to me according to your word. That, that recall, it calls to mind, it anticipates the words of her son later. Like, your will be done. Uh, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, we might be tempted to think, you know, we're so familiar with this story, what an incredible honor Mary was given. Of course she agreed. Of course she said yes to be the mother of, of Jesus. But I want you to think about what she submitted to at this point. Uh, and again, especially as a very young girl. She committed to giving up Joseph. She committed to, to giving up being married, likely. Uh, Joseph, who might well divorce her when he finds that she's pregnant without him. Um, and in fact, of course, that's exactly where the story goes in, in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph hadn't had the privilege of meeting with the angel. Uh, Mary doesn't know whether Joseph will be convinced of her story or not. Certainly, they had the conversation. Right? Mary said, this is... An angel came to me, and this is what he said. And Joseph was not convinced. He was planning to divorce her um, because he didn't believe her. Um, Mary was committing to that. She was committing to giving up her reputation with everyone else in her community who would likely think the same thing, unless somehow they believed her story, uh, her unbelievable story. She was committing to possibly being punished. Um, because of what others would assume about her pregnancy. Uh, she was, of course, committing to going through the usual pains of childbearing, childbirth. Uh, she was committing to enduring unforeseen things, things she didn't know about yet, uh, to the attempted murder of her child and exile in Egypt, which, again, is a very brief part of the story, but it's not like you know, driving to New Mexico and driving back. It was it would have been an extremely difficult circumstance. She was enduring, committing to enduring the controversy over and hatred of, of her own son. Uh, she herself at times won't well understand what, what Jesus is doing, what his ministry is. And of course, she's committing to the arrest and trial and crucifixion and burial of her own son. Uh, as one commentator puts it, she was consenting to a lifetime of suffering for the glory of God. And we don't know what Mary's plans or hopes or expectations were for her life, but they were now dramatically altered, ultimately in a wonderful way, uh, but not in an easy way, uh, through much suffering. Uh, but we do know that she gave that up for the Lord's sake. She gave that up to walk in obedience 
uh, to the Lord. Um, William Hendrickson comments, she made a complete surrender. She placed herself, body and soul, at the disposal of the God who loved her and who, by means of his promised pregnancy and childbirth, was bestowing upon her an inestimable blessing. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. We know God's faithfulness to her, faithfulness in uh, giving Joseph understanding and faith, in, in protecting them from Herod, and, and on and on with God's faithfulness to her um, because of her obedience. Perhaps God is calling you to more sacrificial obedience uh, for his kingdom. Uh, following Christ and serving the church or raising your kids or living faithfully will call you to sacrifice all kinds of goals or pleasures or fun or wealth or uh, things that you might otherwise pursue for Christ's sake. Uh, that's one thing we can reflect on in this story. Thirdly, I want you to see that her response was God-centered. Uh, and looking at, the, at her song here, the Magnificat uh, particularly, we don't know when Mary composed this poem or this song. Uh, was it spontaneous? Was, you know, did she compose this on the way to visit Elizabeth? Um, we're not sure, but it's, it sounds a lot like many different parts of the Old Testament. It's, it's saturated with, with Scripture. Um, it sounds, for one thing, like Hannah's prayer in First, Second, uh, First Samuel chapter two. Hannah, who was barren for years and pleading with the Lord for a child, and, and God granted her Samuel, and she responded with a song: "My heart exalts in the Lord; my strength is exalted in the Lord, because I rejoice in your salvation. The Lord makes poor, uh, makes poor and makes rich. He brings low; he exalts; he raises up the poor from the dust." Uh, again, it goes on with, with really similar themes uh, to Mary's song. Um, commentators have pointed out that Mary also seems also to, to quote or to allude to uh, Genesis, Deuteronomy, 2 Samuel, Job, Psalms, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Those are some of the ones that are suggested. And, and whatever exactly she's re- alluding to or quoting uh, it reflects the fact that Mary has evidently been taught the scriptures all her life. She's memorized the scriptures. She's internalized the scriptures. Uh, and so when the time came, she was ready, biblically, to respond to God's great call and blessing and glorify him. Uh, one thing I want you to note about the Magnificat here, particularly her, her scripture-saturated praise here, uh, interestingly, she doesn't mention once Jesus. She doesn't mention once her son, and, and, and exactly what it is that she's been, she's been asked to do and what she's been promised. Um, she, doesn't ex- she only once mentions herself, and, and that's just uh, in, in passing to mention God, to glorify God. The, the focus of the whole song is God and his glory and who he is. Um, uh, Phil Riken has this comment. He says, Mary had the godliness to look beyond her gift and praise the God who gave it. Her goal was to show his greatness. She wanted to magnify God, not her own position as the mother of the Son of God. Uh, she knew that she was blessed because of who God was, not because of who she was. And the way to show this was not by thinking about what God was doing in her life, but by enlarging her vision to see the majesty of God. And I, I think there's a lot to reflect on in that too. I think too often my prayers focus inordinately on what I want for God or from God or what God has done for me, what he's done to me, what he's made me, um, 
And those are important things to give thanks for and to recognize for sure in our prayers, but probably disproportionately uh, with the Psalms, with Mary's song, um, focusing on who God is simply, uh, how he always works, um, what he's doing, what he will do in the whole world, um, and not simply focusing on what has he done for me, what does this mean for me, but, but focusing in our prayers and our praise on who God is. Certainly, a larger view of God like this in our prayers goes hand in hand with, with a humble willingness to serve him, uh, as Mary had, and trust him, whatever the cost. So my encouragement to you this morning is that when you're faced with God's call to costly faith, costly service, uh, that you would, a, a call to be tired or to have less time or money for yourself or to be ridiculed or underappreciated, to trust him through sickness or tragedy or whatever it might be, uh, that you would know that he is with you and for you, uh, that you would be called to, to glorify him as Mary did, that you would know he's faithful, he uplifts the poor and the downtrodden, and he will reward your humble submission as he did with Mary, uh, even though she didn't know what was ahead. She didn't know all that she was submitting to. And ultimately, as, as the Lord did for Jesus, uh, whom she would carry, uh, it's not because God lifted poor and humble Mary that we have faith, right? It's because he lifted and exalted your perfectly faithful Savior uh, after he died for your sins, uh, that we can have faith in him as Mary did. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your word this morning. Uh, we thank you for... Um, your choice, uh, your uh, um, unexpected and astounding choice of Mary um, and what it teaches us of, of who you are and how you work and what it shows us of why you have chosen and loved each of us. We thank you for uh, your grace to her and um, giving her as an example to us uh, of faithful response to your call and glorifying you in response to your call. We know that she didn't do that perfectly, and that ultimately points to the faithfulness of Christ. And so we pray that you would help us to take these things to heart today, to reflect on them, um, that responding to your call, uh, your costly call in our lives, uh, would be something that we think about this week. And we pray in this in Christ's name. Amen.